I want to go ahead and just take a minute and pause as we enter into our time of the Word of God. Um, Shelly's going to come up and read for us here in just a moment. But before she does that, uh, I want to just ask you to just kind of uh, close your eyes and bow your heads. And, and I want us to just pause and to, to prepare our hearts to hear from the Lord this morning. You know, the Lord tells us that His Word is not just words on a page, but it is breathed out by Him. And it is therefore profitable. It's profitable for us. And we come into this morning, we come from all of the things that we have experienced this week, and, and now we have a moment to sit underneath his word and gain from his word. Because it's profitable to teach us, it's profitable to reprove us, it's profitable to correct us, it's profitable to train us that we might be competent and equipped for every good work. And so I want to take just a moment, just in your quietness and stillness of your heart, to just prepare your heart to hear from his word today. Do you want to hear the voice of God? Not mine, but his. Just take a quiet moment to just go before him and just open yourself up and just say, Lord, would you just open my eyes and my ears to hear from you today? Fathers, we come to your word. May we lay all of our concerns and the things that we've got that are outside of this place, let me lay those down. And may this truly be a, a sanctuary, a moment to just rest in you and a moment to abide in you, a moment to hear from you. May your spirit be with us. May he be powerful. Uh, may he open up our eyes and, and open up our ears to hear and, and see exactly what we need to hear and see this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would also by your spirit, soften our hearts in any area where we need to be corrected, any area where we're not walking faithfully. I pray that for each and every one of us. And Lord, just ask that you would do this for the sake of your glory in our lives, that you would conform us into the image of Jesus more and more and more each day. And so Lord, I pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, if you've got your Bibles, please go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. Shelly, go ahead and invite you on up. Matthew chapter 18, sorry, not 8, chapter 18, verses 10 through 14. And church, if you would, please stand with me out of respect for God's word as Shelly reads for us out of his word this morning. Good morning, church family. Matthew 18, 10 through 20. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and then go in search of the one who went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one of the others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. 
This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Shelley. So if you have been with us in the past couple weeks, then you might be thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute. Didn't we just do this parable like two weeks ago? And in a sense, yes, we did. But uh, we actually looked two weeks ago at the parable in, in, in the book of Luke. And if you know in the context, um, it seems in Jesus's ministry and time here on earth that he shared this parable on multiple occasions. And each time, or at least in several different occasions, those were to very different ends, very, very different means with very different emphasis. So if you remember the last time we looked at this parable in the book of Luke, Jesus was talking to Pharisees and the Pharisees had come to him and they were questioning him, saying, like, why do you hang out with all these sinners? And Jesus shared this parable to point out God's desire and God's heart for the lost, those people who were outside of the kingdom of God, those people who were sinners, the worst of these, the, the prostitutes and the tax collectors of Jesus' day. And so he was sharing the parable to let everybody know God's heart for the lost. But in this parable, when he shares it at this time, it's in a very, very different context. And so what we're going to do before we jump into the content of the parable is we're going to take a minute to just look at the context so that we understand what it is that Jesus is actually talking to and who he's talking to. So earlier in Luke, or Matthew chapter 18, in verse 1, we see that it's not the Pharisees that Jesus is talking to, but he's now talking to his disciples. And what has happened is the disciples have come to Jesus and they've said, Jesus, how can I be the greatest? Or who is going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus tells them, listen, I want you to take a look at these kids. I want you to look at this child. And he says to them, he says that if you, you that I, whoever humbles himself, sorry, this is Matthew 18, verse four, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is telling his disciples the type of person that is going to be able to come into the kingdom of heaven, the type of person that is going to come to faith in Jesus. This is an important thing because he's talking about people who are actually going to be entering into the kingdom. And so he's talking to his disciples, helping them understand what kind of character someone needs to have or should have as they come to Jesus. So here's what I want to do. I want to help us illustrate. And some of you love these moments and these opportunities where I have an opportunity to illustrate something. Uh, if you've been around the church for very long, you know that I like to draw stick figures and that I've actually named my stick figure. Uh, his name's Herbert. So don't be super weirded out. Don't do this all the time. But um, this is Herbert um, on the screen. And uh, if you see Herbert, so super fantastic, right? I actually gave him eyes and a mouth this time just to kind of shake things up a little bit. But Herbert is like every single one of us before we came to faith in Jesus Christ. And he's just walking about his life, living life, thinking everything is pretty good. And oftentimes as we live our lives, we're thinking, man, like I've got this together. Like I've got things in, in my life pretty well under control. And, and we can kind of justify when bad things happen or blame things on other people when bad things happen. But we kind of walk in our lives just thinking like, hey, I'm, I'm all right. But we know that there are times, certainly as someone comes to a place where they might be willing to come to see Jesus, where that changes and their life changes and they begin to see that they're incomplete. They begin to see that they're broken. They begin to see that while they thought they were leading life as best they could, that they've kind of made a mess of things. That where they thought they could find satisfaction and joy and delight and peace, that they really haven't found that and that something is wrong. Something is broken inside of them. 
This is that humility and contriteness that Jesus is talking about, that a child has, somebody who doesn't think, like, I can do this all on my own. I've got it all on my own. And so Herbert would finally, hopefully, in his entry level to faith, would recognize this brokenness in his own heart. And then, as he sees Jesus, bad representation, just give it to me, all right? Like, as he sees Jesus in the recognition of his own sin, and some of you, I hope many of you, if not all of you, have gone through this process, you didn't come to Christ. You come to Jesus with that contriteness of heart. That is what is happening in Matthew 18, chapter, uh, in chapter 18, verses one through five or six. That Jesus is telling the disciples, this is the type of person that's going to come into my kingdom. Not the type of person that's just going about their life thinking like, I got it all together. It's the type of person who recognizes they desperately need Jesus. They're humble. They're contrite. I can't do this on my own. This isn't a new thing in the New Testament. This is something God has told us all throughout the scriptures. Look at Isaiah chapter 66. I love this text. Isaiah 66 verse 2. All these things my hand has made. Now, now, I'm going to pause. What things has he made? All things. So grass, the sky. Any of you see the sunrise a couple of days ago? Gorgeous sunrise. Sunsets, mountains, the Grand Canyon, the ocean. All of these things he has made. And all of these things to be, has come to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. Think about that statement. I made the sunrise, but I'm not going to look at the sunrise. I'm going to look at this type of person. And what type of person is it? He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. That is a staggeringly profound text of scripture. I made Mount Everest but I will turn my view from Mount Everest to look upon the humble and contrite. That's amazing. And that's what is exactly is, is, is happening. If you go back to Herbert, as he comes to Jesus and he sees Jesus, Jesus looks at Herbert, not because he did anything, not because he came good enough, but because Herbert came and said, I can't do this on my own. I, I got to forsake my own way. And he came like a child. He came humble. And so what we know happens with us if you've gone through this process and you've put your faith in Jesus and you've come to him in humility is that after this moment, he then raises us up and we begin to walk in the newness of life, right? Like I changed Herbert's color just to make sure you see he's a different man, right? Hey, Herbert's a totally different guy. I didn't know how else to do that with a sick figure, but he's a new creation. We're new creations, but we all still have a path to walk, don't we? And in that path, it's not all perfect and it's not all easy. Like there's things that are going to potentially trip us up all the time. And Jesus now shifts the direction of his content. He says like, listen, this is the type of child. This is the type of person that enters into my kingdom. But then he says in, in chapter 18, verse 7, woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come. But woe to the one by whom temptation comes. So what is Jesus saying? For you little ones who have come to Jesus with a humbleness and contriteness of heart, temptation is going to come into your life. 
as you walk the path of faith, there are going to be all of these potential places that you're going to maybe fall, where you're going to fall into temptation. And we know that comes to us. It comes to us through our flesh. It comes to us from the world around us, whether it's suffering, pain, lust, pride, anger, on and on I could go in terms of the list of things that cause temptation for us to fall away into the sin that God has saved us from. And Jesus is saying, like, woe to, that, to this world where that temptation is going to come. But then Jesus even goes further because he now turns his attention to the disciples and he says, listen, if you're one of these humble and contrite sheep of mine who have come to me, and if you come to a place and you're walking down this path, don't take this lightly. Matthew 18, verses eight through nine. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into eternal fire. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hellfire. Do you think Jesus takes sin serious? Like Jesus isn't literally telling us to, to tear our bodies apart, but he is telling us, don't mess around. Don't mess around, little ones. You may be humble and contrite. You may have come to me and, find, and, and get, find salvation and forgiveness of sin, but don't play around with sin. Kill it. If this phone causes you to sin, get a flip phone. If your Y membership causes you to sin, stop going to the Y. Buy some weights from the house. If your Netflix subscription causes you to sin, cancel it. Like, and I could go on and on and on, right? Like if hanging out with that person causes you to talk negatively about other people, stop hanging out with that person. Like Jesus is serious about sin. And brothers and sisters, it's important for me to say that this isn't just the big sins this is the ones we think oftentimes are respectable sins, like lying or being angry or being snarky or rude or impatient. Jesus is serious about sin. So he tells us this, and now we get into our text. So this is the context. Humble and contrite ones. These are the little ones. So when Jesus says in chapter 10, he goes, or chapter, or verse 10, sorry. He says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones. This is those contrite, humble ones who have come to me. And what does he say? See that you don't despise these little ones. For I tell you that, that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. Now, rabbit trail, what does that mean? Here, here's what we think it means. For those who are in Christ, those who are in the kingdom of God, there seems to be a reality that he has angels ministering to us. Now, we may not see it or feel it, but this is something that's happening in the spiritual realm. This is validated in a text like Psalm 91, where he says, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And here's why this is important, because if the angels are guarding us in all of our ways and the angels are ministering to us, even as we struggle with sin, then we better not despise and look down upon those who are struggling with sin. 
We should not have contempt. And this leads us to the first point that Jesus is getting to and why he ultimately tells us this parable. Do not look upon a struggling brother or sister with contempt as they walk, as they struggle with sin. Which, by the way, is all of us at some point, isn't it? Now, listen, it's very clear. This is not a command to minimize the danger of sin. Jesus has made that pretty clear at this point. He's serious about it. But it is a reminder and it is a command for us to watch ourselves as we engage or as we see our brothers and sisters who are struggling with sin, struggling with temptation, people that have fallen into that pit. So again, let's go back to Herbert. Let's say Herbert falls into sin and Herbert fails and he falls down that little hole and he maybe doesn't take sin very lightly and he finds himself and he's stuck in the muck. You know what oftentimes happened in the church is this. Where we look down upon Herbert and we start to talk about Herbert. And we don't say it in front of Herbert, right? Hey, did you see what Herbert did? Can you believe that a Christian would do what Herbert did? Sometimes we spiritualize it. I really would like to pray for Herbert because he got drunk again last week, right? Like we're good at this, aren't we? Pointing fingers, snickering. Like, I can't, I'm not even sure Herbert was ever a Christian in the first place. I saw that coming a long way away. I knew Herbert was going to fall sooner or later because I never really felt like he repented in the first place. And we shake our heads and we point our fingers. And the whole point that Jesus is making to his disciples is do not do that. And I've been guilty of this. I've been guilty of this in my own heart. And, and people in the church, we, we even have sayings for this. It's the church is one of the only places where you shoot your own wounded. Maybe you've heard that little phrase. The world sees it. They see how we treat people who fail and fall. And what can happen then is someone like Herbert who's stuck in the mud, like they feel like, man, like I, I can't let anybody know about my failure. I can't let anybody know about my sin because if I do, like I, I'm going to be shamed or I'm going to be looked at bad or I'm going to be maybe kicked out of the church or people will look at me with contempt or it won't be the same anymore. So they hide. Herbert hides. We hide. Each of us hide because we're not willing to see and we're not willing to share because we're afraid. Sadly, in our temptation, oftentimes to despise a brother or sister, we fail to remember we're all susceptible to temptation. Every single one of us is susceptible to temptation. But here's what I know. It is always easier to look at someone else's sin than it is to look at your own. Some of, us, some of you may be sitting in the room right now hearing a sermon on, on repentance and sin and holiness and your first thought is to think of that person. We're supposed to look at ourselves. Examine our own hearts because it is always easier to point out your spouse or your kids or your friend or that person that sits on the other side of the sanctuary or that pastor that said something bad to me one time on accident or, or whatever it is. It's always easy to point someone else's sin out and ignore our own. And it's always going to be a temptation for us. And that's exactly what Jesus is telling us. Like, don't despise and don't have contempt upon the one who's struggling in these things. But Jesus doesn't just tell us what not to do. 
he moves on to tell us what to do. He says, what do you think? Which I think is a fun statement. In other words, what do you think or how do you think God sees this little one in the middle of their fight? How do you think God sees the sheep that has strayed away? And remember, this is someone within the context of the body of Christ. This is not a lost person, but somebody within the body who has fallen into temptation. What do you think that God thinks about that? Well, like a shepherd, he leaves the 99 and he pursues. He goes to look for his stray sheep, calling it to listen, hoping that it responds with a bleeding And if he finds, he will rejoice. This is intended to give us a picture of the heart of the Father. The heart of the Father who seeks the stray. Jesus' point in this parable is to help us to adopt his heart regarding the sin of a brother or sister when we see someone else fail. A heart of compassion, fearful of the consequences that they might face fearful that they might harden their heart. So we're to go to them, not to shame them, not to point our fingers at them, to see them, or even to hope that they experience pain in any way, shape, or form, but recognizing that Jesus' heart is to see the straying sheep come back into the fold because they are in danger. At points in our lives, aren't we all in danger? There's a video online I'm guessing most of you have seen, but maybe for the two or three of you who haven't, um, I think this really illustrates what most of our lives look like as the sheep of God. I want you to watch this quick video. Um, Like I said, I think it will probably be familiar to many of you. So there's a young, there's a little sheep down in there, by the way. I'm glad I don't have to do this every day, by the way. Right? Isn't that most of us? Isn't it? Like, so maybe you haven't seen it as many times as I've seen it, right? A lot of people send it to me. I don't know why they send it to me all the time, right? But isn't that most of us? Like, we're in that mess, and the shepherd gets us out, and we take two hops, and bam, we're right back in it again. And yet, isn't it easy for us to then look upon contempt with the one who's doing the exact same thing and point fingers at him? I love that video because it reminds us of who we are. It reminds us of our own, our own failures, our own faults. The best part is that when asked questions about how many times we should put up with a sinner, later in Matthew 18, because after Peter hears this, he says, okay, so how many times when a brother sins against me, should I forgive them? And Jesus' answer is this, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times. Jesus isn't saying, I want you to forgive people 490 times and count them out. For the first century Jew, they would have heard that number as an idea of completeness and fullness, meaning you just keep forgiving. And I'm glad 
that is the heart of my shepherd. Aren't you? Aren't you glad that's the heart of our shepherd? You might be that sheep stuck in that hole because you strayed. You might be like Herbert, stuck in the mud, whichever image you want in your head, but you might feel like he has to be done with me. He's got to be finished with me. Like it's hopeless. Surely he doesn't want to have anything to do with me. Some of you may say, well, that's not me. I, I would, I'm not in any sin whatsoever. Listen, if you think you're in this space right now this morning and you have no sin in your life, the scripture is very clear that you are calling God a liar because we are all sinners. Now, we're also blameless, right? There's this weird thing because we're in Christ, but we still have sin in our lives. But some of you look and like, listen, I, I, I don't even know what to do anymore because I just don't think he's coming after me. And so in your mind's eye, you failed so many times, whether it's the big sin or the little sin, that you say like, well, I don't hear him coming after me anymore. I don't think he's chasing me anymore. So I'll just have to get myself right to be able to come back into the fold. Well, listen, that's not the way it works. Sheep can't find their way back. But our shepherd never throws up his hands and says, forget that sheep. I hate that sheep. That sheep is a pain in the backside. I am tired of him. He's always failing. I'm tired of her. She's always failing. She's always messing up. That is not the heart of our father. He keeps coming back. He keeps coming after his stray sheep. He's saying, like, I'm coming. Like, listen. You might be in this room this morning. You might be in that spot right now where you feel like, surely he is done with me. Listen, don't hear my voice this morning. Hear his. This parable is for you. He's saying, I come after my sheep. When we are in sin, and frankly, even if we've been affected by the sin of another person in our lives, like there's going to be pain. There's going to be hurt. There's going to be fear. There's going to be doubt. There's going to be deep wounds. We might be standing in the muck. We might even be right in the midst of the consequence of our own sin or the sin of somebody else, but God still has a heart towards you. I want you to hear God's heart towards us as his sinners and then what our heart should be towards those who we see sinning as well. And I'm just going to read a text of scripture out of Ezekiel 34 because it's his verse or his voice, not mine. And I think sometimes we just need to hear his voice and nobody else's. But listen to Ezekiel 34. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. Pause. Who's doing the seeking? He is. Herbert isn't. You aren't. He is. We oftentimes, when we are straying from our shepherd, we're just too busy munching on the grass to even care where we're at. But he will search for us. As a shepherd seeks out his flock, when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. Brothers and sisters, he is rescuing, meaning that we are in danger. Oftentimes, we're in danger of our own making. 
We're in the consequences of our own challenges. But even though it's a mess he didn't make, even though it's a mess that we made ourselves, he still seeks us out. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. And I will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. He wants to provide so we don't have to look elsewhere. And this is about people of Israel who walked away from God time after time after time after time. And he still wants to provide. There they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture. They shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my people. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak. What a wonderful reminder to us all. If we've strayed, and we hear our shepherd's voice, and in contriteness and humility, we are found by our shepherd, and we come to him, and we come with that contriteness and humility, and we repent, we too will be forgiven. We won't be looked upon with contempt. And we shouldn't be looked upon with contempt within the church to confess those things to a brother or sister. In fact, within the church, we, as the people of God, as the hands and feet of Jesus, when we see someone sinning, we are to seek them. We are to rescue them. We are to provide for them. We are to bind them up. We are to strengthen them, just like the shepherd does. And we are to rejoice when they come back. But if a sheep is not found, if we continue to stray, there is a massive danger for us. There is a massive danger of perishing, leading me to the final point, which is to listen to his voice or risk perishing. And look at Ezekiel 34, just that last section. He says, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Listen to his voice or risk perishing. There's not a lot of mincing of words I can do with this. If you think that you can stray from the Lord and just keep wandering, never listening to his call for repentance with contriteness and humility, there is a very real danger for you and for me. Now, we're given a process in Scripture. Shelley read it for us this morning in, in, in verses 18 through 20. It gives us that process. If you see someone in sin, you are to go to that brother and you are to say, this is the sin. Lay out the scripture. If that brother says, nope, don't care, I'm gonna keep straying, I'm gonna keep doing what I want, then you go grab another brother or sister and you go to him or her and you say, listen, this is what the word says. Like, will you repent? Will you come? Will you hear the voice of your shepherd saying, come back, come back? And if he says, no, I'm, I'm just gonna keep doing it, then you go before the church. That's terrifying, right? And you say, church, like, come on. Like, this is what everybody agrees upon. Like, you're stepping away from your, 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 your shepherd. And we're not to do this with contempt, we're to do it with weeping, with tears, with compassion, with prayer, pleading that the Lord would help them to see their error. You know, oftentimes this parable leads people to ask the question, can I, can I lose my salvation then? 
Like if I came to him in contriteness and humility of heart and now I'm straying and I just keep straying, can I lose my salvation? And there's a lot of ways I could deal with that. It's probably a whole sermon. And I'm not gonna have time to address all of that today. My response today was this, why are you asking? If your question is, well, can I lose my salvation? Uh, And it's keeping you from wanting to come back to Jesus. I've already told you, like he will welcome you home. Like the scripture is very clear about that. But if the reason you're asking that question is because you wanna see how long you can stay in your sin, that's a dangerous place to be. If you're asking the question, well, what if, can I lose my salvation so you don't have to come back to the fold and humble yourself and confess your sin? That is a dangerous place to be. If you are walking in rebellion to Jesus and you're refusing to listen to his voice, you are in serious danger. And this is important for us because some of us need to be reminded not to have contempt upon others that are sin. Some of us need to be reminded that we need to not take sin lightly and we need not to stay in it. Look at some of these texts of scripture. Hebrews chapter three says this, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not those who left Egypt led by Moses and with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of their unbelief. Why does he say this? He says, don't harden your heart, because if you do, you might find yourself like the people of Israel underneath the consequences of his wrath. Psalm 66, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Listen, some of us in this room are mad at God because God is not hearing our voices. God's not hearing our prayers. You don't feel like he's hearing your prayers. I ask a question, is there sin in your heart that you're cherishing? For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. But where's the line? This is the question that people always ask. And I feel it too, because most of my sins are deliberate. A lot of my sins are deliberate. So how many times? Like, right, is it, is it five deliberate sins? Is it three deliberate sins? Is it 10 deliberate sins? Well, the scripture doesn't tell us. It alludes to the idea of a lifestyle. But the bigger question today is this. If you are out there wandering around and you know that you have strayed and you know that there is sin in your life and you know that you're walking in anger, you know you're walking in a lustful manner of life, you know you're walking in a lustful manner of thought, you know you're walking in pride, hate, divisiveness, laziness, apathy, you know you're inputting stuff into your mind that isn't pleasing to him, whether it's TikTok, Snapchat, music you listen to, movies you watch, TV you listen to, websites you frequent, You know you aren't loving your neighbor the way God has called you to. You know that you aren't submitting to your husband the way he's called you to or loving your wife the way that he has called you to. You know, you know, and I could go on and on. The list goes forever. The question, the real question for us, the vital question on this morning is will you listen to the voice of the shepherd? He can deal with the muck and the mire. 
He can deal with the consequences. He can restore. He can heal. He can redeem. He can bind. But those things are contingent upon us listening to his voice. Will we harden our hearts today? Earlier, I quoted out of Isaiah 66. I want to read it again. Isaiah 66, that beautiful reminder of who God looks about. All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. He who's humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Will you be like these little ones? Will you be like this type of person when confronted with your sin? Or will you be like the people in the next text? These have chosen their own ways. Their soul delights in their abominations. I also will choose harsh treatment for them and bring them fe- their fears upon them because when I called, no one answered. And when I spoke, they did not listen, but they did what was evil in my eyes and chose that in which I do not delight. It doesn't matter how we justify our sins. It doesn't matter how big or small we think they are. If he does not delight in it, you or I have strayed. If it's evil in his sight, it doesn't matter whether it's evil in your sight, it's evil in his sight, you have strayed. If it's evil in his eyes, you have strayed. And if you do not listen, when he speaks and calls, there will be harsh treatment. It doesn't matter how small or big our sins are. We, as his sheep, are to listen to his voice. But we may find that we are proving that we weren't his sheep in the first place. And we'll be ignoring him at great risk to ourselves. Church, return. Return. Listen to his voice today. He's compassionate to the humble and the contrite. No matter how many times we jump back into that stinking hole, you'll find he rejoices over you. Will he rejoice over you today? How many of us will experience 1 Peter today? For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. How many of you were strained this morning when you walked in? And you know it. You feel it. You've returned. Will you return today to the shepherd and overseer of your souls? So this parable reminds us two things. One, not to despise or have contempt upon those who are in sin, because we certainly don't want that to be the case for us when we're struggling in sin. And two, if we are sheep strain, come back when you hear his voice call. And he's calling you this morning through this parable. I want to pray. Father, in the next couple of moments, just ask that you would be really present with us. Father, I want to ask that you would do a work in our hearts by your spirit. Your word tells us um, to cry out to you that you would search us and know us to see if there's any wicked way in us. I know for myself, there's times when I know exactly what I'm doing. I know exactly where I fail. I know exactly where I've fallen into temptation. And then there's other times where I've had to have you or your spirit or somebody else reveal that to me because I just didn't know. I just wasn't aware. Either way, Father, I pray this morning that if there is areas in which we need to repent, areas which we've strayed from you, 
And it may not be holistically. It may just be in a little area over here or a little area over there. But Father, wherever they are, may you open our eyes to it. I pray, Lord, that this morning you would call us back. And I pray, Lord, that we would not harden our hearts to that, but we would hear it. I pray, Father, for those in this room in the next few moments that they've never come to faith in you. They have never come in contriteness and humility of heart in the first place. And they continue to walk in their own ways and they continue to walk in their own paths and they continue to have hard hearts against you. Father, I pray that you would soften their hearts that they might find salvation. Father, they might find the good shepherd, the one who will bind them up, that care for them and, and protect them and provide for them. Lord, may that happen today. Father, I ask these things in your name.